welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algabin. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, we welcome Corey White. Corey is a security industry veteran with more than 25 years of success building and implementing security strategies and leading consulting teams. Corey is disrupting the modern approach to cybersecurity as the founder of Cyvitar.ai, providing effortless cybersecurity as a service. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate you having me. So why don't we start like we do with all of our first-time guests, and why don't you just take a um, minute or two and give us a little bit of your background and and kind of the story of your career uh, leading up to why you uh, decided to found uh, the Cyvitar.ai company. Yep, yep, absolutely. So you said something interesting in my intro. You said, you know, Corey is a successful cybersecurity, um, you know, person, industry veteran, right? And so at the end of the day, I do like being successful, but let's dive into that. If over my 25 years, if all my clients are still continually getting hacked, the number of attacks and vulnerabilities are continually increasing as a cybersecurity veteran, how successful am I? Right. If we, we've got this big industry and hacks are increasing, I might just be failing. And I'll tell you, Anthony, I hate failing. I, I just it just it's not a thing that I enjoy. Most people obviously hate failing, but one of the things that gets to me. So I started this business because the current model for cybersecurity is not designed for the customer to actually prevent cyber attacks. The industry does not want these attacks to stop happening. Do you believe that? Do you think that's the case? I, I mean, I would assume the industry wants the attacks to stop happening, but now I don't know if I uh, am assuming correctly or not. Yeah. Well, if they're increasing, it's a billion-dollar industry. I kind of equate it to the, the drug companies, right? They don't want you to be healthy because if you're healthy, they don't sell any drugs. If you stop the cyber attacks... We don't get to make money off of cybersecurity and incident response. So let me dive in my background. I'll explain why this is you know, so important to me to actually try to solve this and, and literally stop failing, right? Because uh, I don't want my career to be marked by, hey, Corey was a cybersecurity veteran, but everybody kept getting hacked, and so he failed. I don't want that to be <laughs> what I'm known for. Um, I do like Fair. being successful and winning. So my background, 25 years, right? Um, started in the mid-90s doing assessments and penetration testing, incident response. I was uh, certified, you know, everything, Cisco, Microsoft, CISP, all that standard stuff. Then in 2004, I joined a company called Foundstone based here in Southern California. And Foundstone was known for the Hacking Exposed books. We taught mm. the, the white hats, the gray hats, the good side, how to actually hack. Because the mindset was, yeah. once you know how hacks actually happen, then you know how to stop them. Right. And, and I agree with that. It makes sense. You have to know what the hackers are actually doing so that you can stop those attacks. So we educated the world on how to hack and how to do penetration testing and security assessments. And so once we now I ran a team of penetration testers and I built a global team of incident responders and I did some pretty big incidents over the years, many of them fighting anonymous, fighting nation states, you know, very large countries attacking United States based companies and exfiltrating data out. I was the one that called for those incidents. And I did that all the way until until 2012 when 
um, uh, the founder of, of my last company I was at, um, Silence, Stuart came to me and said, Corey, let's rerun the playbook. Let's start with services and then we'll build product and let's try to stop it this time. Let's try to prevent these attacks. So we built Silence using artificial intelligence with a goal of preventing these attacks. So we did that. But here's the thing. The whole industry had this concept, Anthony, of EDR. So that stands for um, endpoint you know, detection and response. So like on your computer, if you have some software, antivirus, basic software, and if you use traditional antivirus, then that antivirus was created about 30 years ago. John McAfee and a few other folks created it. And so if you look at any of John McAfee's videos, you're like, wow, this guy created it. But at the end of the day, most companies are using 30-year-old technology to stop the attacks for today. How do you think that's going? Well, I would imagine not well. Yeah. <laughs> but see, that's the mindset, right? If you have something that was created 30 years ago that can be easily circumvented, then you're not going to stop these attacks. And so when we talk about EDR, just circling back to that, so detection and response. When If you're trying to prevent these cyber attacks, but you actually choose a detection and response solution, are you preventing it? I No, I guess, right? Yeah. I'll put another analogy at you. Think about your house, right? If if you have uh, your front door unlocked or even wide open, and then somebody walks in, maliciously walks in, that is a detection. You'll get an alert um, on your one of your apps. Hey, somebody just walked into your front house. That's detection. And the response is up to you to respond and get that malicious bad person out of your house. Yeah, yeah. That's what um, EDR is. Exactly. And so if you Google around, you look at the cybersecurity industry, you have EDR, you have MDR, Managed Detection and Response. So there are companies that's going to manage the detection and response. Then you also have XDR, and that's Extended Detection and Response. So imagine they're detecting everything in your house, doors, windows, everything. None of those things are actually preventing the attack. Right. So, I mean, I let me ask, because I have to believe with all of these you know, antivirus softwares and, and other things that have been around forever. Are you saying that they don't actually prevent anything? They're just detecting it and letting you know when there's problems or they're not actually providing a, a layer of, of protection? Yeah, so let me explain when I, I worked for McAfee for eight and a half years. Um, and that supplies it, not all of them, McAfee, um, you know, Symantec, Tran, Sophos, you know, really at the time between 2004 until 2012, um, our methodology, whenever one of our customers, wherever I got called for a very large incident, we would come in, we would find the malware. Once we found the malicious software, then we would um, get a copy of it, find it, and create a hash. It's like a digital, it's like a signature of it. So create a hash. We send it up to the malware analyst. They would create a new DAT file or signature file, and then we would get it installed on their computers, and then that's how we would erase the malware on their system. I see. So I see. that's not actually preventing the attack. That is incident response. Okay. Yeah, well, it actually kind of works like we do, like we have with vaccines, in that it gives a recipe to your body of, hey, when this happens, this thing's a bad thing, do something about that. And it kind of helps resolve that, but it's still relying on, like in the case of the software, it's, it's relying on your um, you know, antivirus to, to go in and delete something that fits that profile 
versus exactly. keeping it from getting in in the first place. Like vaccines do not prevent you from getting the virus into your body. It hopefully will address stopping that virus from reproducing and becoming more problematic, but it is not going to put that gating mechanism, which I think is, is your point is, is we have the wrong approach or, or maybe I'm, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but like, do we have the wrong approach because we should be stopping these at the gate. We should stop them before they get in at all versus what the traditional antiviruses have done, which is respond once they're in. Yeah, exactly. So let me explain what, what I end up doing with, with a bunch of companies, right? So running um, the penetration testing assessment team, and that's the, the equivalent of, uh, I, I use house analogies because everybody has a house of some sort and they kind of relate to it. But that's the equivalent to me coming to your house and saying, all right, so Anthony, uh, you got a bad lock on your front door. I can easily circumvent this. And this window you know, doesn't close all the way so I can climb in through the window. And then a penetration test is me actually proving it. So say it literally be me and my team coming in late at night and saying, see, I got into your house and I went into your bedroom and your master bedroom drawer and stole all your jewels. See, and then <laughs> took a picture and that's it. So that's penetration testing. Okay. Okay. And the, the thought process around that is, all these companies are required to do their yearly penetration test. Once they do that, then I would document, okay, if you get a proper lock on this, you know, this window and this door, and then if you have a motion detector, then you'd be able to see that someone's walking through at 2 a.m. and that's not a normal activity. And if you have an alert every time your top drawer in your cabinet opens up, then you'd be able to potentially detect and stop these attacks, right? Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing the onus is on you to know how to install the motion detector to to set up all these pretty tough configurations but i don't know about you have you ever installed an alarm system uh, in a house right no no exactly well think about it when we do this penetration testing then we give detailed recommendations to these companies here's how you stop this from ever happening They've never done it before. They don't have the staff, the expertise. In many cases, the folks that make them the vulnerability, they're the ones that, they're the administrators that made the mistake to begin with. Now we're telling them how to fix it. They just don't have the knowledge. There's a shortage of cybersecurity expertise. So again, it's a, a flawed concept. And that's one example. I'll give you a really quick another one that I want to hear your feedback on it. So penetration testing security assessments. A lot of the compliance requirements say you have to have a yearly security assessment. Well, in 2021, most companies, their environments change almost every single day. New vulnerabilities come out every single day. So if you're using your penetration test and security assessment results from last year, it is obsolete literally sometimes within hours. So how are you expecting to be secure if your new vulnerabilities come out every day and you're changing every day, your environment is dynamic. We, you know, cybersecurity is about hygiene. We should be doing it on a continuous basis, but we treat it like a point in time activity. So it's like saying, hey, I'm gonna buy this amazing cybersecurity product. This is like me saying, hey, I'm gonna drive down the street to Home Depot and I'm gonna buy the best AI door lock they have. And I bring it home, I put it on my kitchen counter and I say, I secured my house. No, I didn't. I just bought a door lock. Same thing with cybersecurity products. You buy it, you're like, we're good. No, not really. So that's what's wrong with the industry. Oh man, you've 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 now triggered me on because this is not even just applicable in house uh 
you know, protection and, and cybersecurity, but you've, you've kind of broken down like one of the greatest fallacies of consulting across the board. And that is like so much of consulting is focused on this idea of tell us what we should do. And then the consultant comes in and tells you what you should do, which you cannot do because you do not have the expertise to do it, but you have these great ideas of things that you still can't do, but now, you know, you should have, that doesn't actually accomplish anything of real value. And, and in, in the cybersecurity standpoint, it's kind of the, the flip side from a lot of consulting engagements are thinking about things we can do to improve something, right? We're, whereas on, on the cybersecurity side, we're, we're trying to protect what we already have, but it's the same dynamic. It's still like, you have to be able to execute and it's not just about the idea it's about the full plan to actually achieve that good idea and and that's something that is so it, it like taking rational pragmatic steps for real security and, and i'm sure we can talk about some of those in the context of this conversation but just like consulting it's like most organizations already know most of what they should do. Focus more on doing it better because yeah. even an imperfect strategy executed reasonably is going to be way better than the perfect strategy that you can't execute at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, so check it out. Now you get my apology to the, the world right here live. So I'm apologizing for 23 years of cybersecurity being a security consulting, running consulting organizations is absolutely, Anthony, a flawed business model for everything that you just said. And I jokingly say I, I'm a recovering services guy. I've gone through the 12-step program and I'm recovered, right? So yeah. what really we should be doing is what I've created now. I've created a subscription-based model to where you subscribe to the cybersecurity solutions that you need. Because here's the thing, cybersecurity is like hygiene. And I'm going to give you another grotesque example, but it drives at home. So here's the deal. If I were to say, hey, Anthony, I'm glad we're not live and face to face because you really run for me. Say, hey, I brush my teeth once a year. I did my yearly teeth brushing. And that's, that's consulting. You come in, you do a yearly assessment or gap analysis and say, here you go. And that's it. That's never going to get you secure. It's never going to have your teeth you know, fresh and clean, right? So you actually have uh, Although to it would be an appealing strategy for a couple of my children. They would be all about signing up for the once a year tooth hygiene uh, program, even though it was not uh, actually something that they should do. So, but I, I, your example is well taken. Man, you're right. Because like a one-time test is not the kind of preventative care that, that yeah. you really need. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, you, you take, um, I was actually on the phone with one of our um, prospective you know, customers. Now they are a customer and we were walking through this and, and he said something. He said, I'm monitoring my logs and I've heard the stat before. He said, we are actually under attack every three seconds from the internet. So if you're sitting on the internet now, there's someone running some scan to see what you're vulnerable to. So again, back to hygiene. Anthony, if you're not continually patching for new vulnerabilities, you got all these um, all these um, software and applications you're running on your computer. If those aren't patched, believe me, there are tools like Metasploit and a bunch of automated tools. We can scan you, figure out what vulnerabilities you have, press a button uh, against your particular IP address, and then I have a command prompt on your computer. Okay, it is just that easy. So the hygiene of continuous improvement is how cybersecurity should be done, but we're not doing it. 
So I had to use, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, first principle thinking. So if the goal to, of a company to actually be secure, if that is your end goal and you go and you, you know, buy a cybersecurity product, you still have the, the, the people and process because you, you, mm. people process technology. You bought the technology, but you don't have the people in process. You're not going to be secure. Or if I go and get the service, okay, well, then I had the people side, we did the assessment, but I need the process and technology on a continuous basis. Or if I go to a MSSP, MDR, XDR, and they're only going to send me information when an alert on something bad happens, um, that's not my outcome. My outcome is to be secure. Or if I go to a value-added reseller, so there's tons of resellers in cybersecurity, you can't even buy your products directly most of the time. You got to go through this reseller. Now, the resellers, and this is, again, just educating everyone, resellers, they're incentivized by margin. How much money can they make selling the product? They are not actually out to get you as a company secure. So if crappyproduct.com um, gives them 40% margin, guess what? They're going to choose that and say, hey, Anthony, this product's going to get you really secure because I get 40% marginal. They don't say that, but the amazing product maybe only gives them 20. But that is what's right. driving that decision. So again, I'll go back to my statement. The cybersecurity industry, until we do something that happens on a continuous basis that actually is targeted toward the customer getting to an outcome of being secure, we're not trying to stop cyber attacks. Right, right. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there because when you think about organizations of any service model, you know, there's a lot of variations in what the underlying incentives are for those organizations to help their customers. And I think your your examples around you know value added resellers and and other you know mechanisms where they've created an industry, and this is this is the case in so many technology related areas. So this is not unique to uh, cybersecurity, but there are a lot of businesses out there that are not in alignment with their customer needs when it comes to how their business actually works. I'm actually astounded when, you know, some organizations create pricing models to actively discourage the use of their technology. And that to me doesn't make any sense. It, it's it's if you have a thing that helps a, a customer, how can you help the customer the most and then capture the right amount of uh, you know revenue uh, to to offset that? Certainly, you want to make money, but how can it be a growing the pie situation versus a you know taking the pie or taking pieces of the pie, most of the pie um, from from your customers? And so, how on you know. The cybersecurity side, how does your organization help grow that pie? How do you help partner with your organizations, your with your client organizations to provide real security for, for them? How does how does cybersecurity as a service actually work? Yeah, um, great question. So what I had to do, um, again, the recovering services guy, right? I had to forget, I had to purge everything I knew about the business of, of cybersecurity and how we had done it prior. Mm -hmm. And and to do that, I do a lot of research and look at other business models because to your point, getting the customer to the outcome is really the goal. And so other business models have figured this out so well. 
that I just had to copy those other business models. And I think you'll be blown away by the other business models we copied. We copied Uber. We copied Netflix. We copied Airbnb. Because again, if you think about, and I did a whole talk about how Netflix saves cybersecurity. Okay. So um, you've used Blockbuster Video before back in the day, right? Back in the day, long time ago. Yeah. So why did they go out of business? Because there was better ways to get movies. Because actually it was, I mean, Netflix, right? Where the DVDs in the mail kind of kept me from needing to get in the car and driving over to the, the video store, right? Yep, you hit the nail on the head. So what you're describing is there's a better business model for you to get to the outcome of being entertained and watching that movie, correct? Mm -hmm. So um, anybody that knows me, life life is about outcomes, right? Is he okay? It is not about like if I'm a cybersecurity, um, if I'm a company want to have good cybersecurity, me getting an assessment that didn't get me to the outcome of being secure. Okay. Me, you know, that's just like me saying, Hey, I'm going to go to Blockbuster, look at some movies, but I'm not going to really buy anything. I'm just going to leave. I, the goal was to watch a movie, right? Now a good one, but I just went there, right? You only did one piece of it. Or if uh, buying a product, like, Hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to buy this movie from this, you know, bars I like Target, right? I'm going to buy a movie from Target and bring it home. I'm not going to watch it. The goal is to get the outcome. The outcome is to how quickly without friction can I get to that outcome? So in cybersecurity, I had to figure out how can we quickly get to the outcome of being secure? So what Netflix did to Blockbuster, as you just described, is they found a better way a more efficient way for you to get to the outcome of watching that movie. Like I can pick up my phone right now and stream a movie right now. But here's what people forget. When Netflix started in 97, just like you said, it was the DVDs being shipped to the house. And what they had to do is they had to look around the corner. They already knew they ultimately wanted to go to streaming, but they couldn't do it in 97. But that's when they were going to take it. But today, Netflix has content and everything else. But day one, they just had a better business model for you and customer to get to the outcome. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so what we had to do is have a better business model for um, any cyber secure um, consumer to actually get to being secure. So we copied those companies. And the same thing applies to take Uber, right? Uber, they didn't own any cars. They still don't own any cars. Airbnb doesn't own any hotels. And so Netflix didn't own any content day one. Now they have content, but day one, they didn't have it. And now right. everybody is copying them with their you know, streaming plus services. So you think about it, what, where we have lost sight of as, as uh, just as a human race in business is the customer needs to come first and getting the customer to their outcomes needs to come first. So what we at Savitar had to do, and this took a flip, and I, I, after doing it 20, 23 years, I'm like, okay, I, I kind of made enough money off of failing. Why don't I try making money off of succeeding? And what that means is I had to flip the model. Like our margin, our profitability was made off of that one-time services engagement. So I had to add in all the margin and price it really, really high to make sure we made money off of it. 
or we have to make money off of selling that product, right? So you price it, price it really high. So you have to do that. And then you got to pay the VAR on top of that. Like they got to take their cut, their, you know, 30, 40% cut. So that makes it even more expensive for the consumer. And ultimately cybersecurity becomes cost prohibitive for most companies. So what we did is let's do this. Let's make cybersecurity a subscription. Let's make it an ongoing activity. Cybersecurity is hygiene. But instead of not actually getting them secure, and you think about yourself, we're both on computers right now. If you're not continually patching your, your, your vulnerabilities, because um, you, you get the pop-ups, hey, you need to do this software update. Like some of those include exploitable vulnerabilities. Uh, and so bad people can scan your computer and exploit those vulnerabilities, get access to your confidential you know, data which is a bad thing, but that happened. That needs to happen on a continuous basis, not once a year. So we built a, a solution that's on a continuous basis. Now, the other thing that you think about uh, from cyber attacks perspective, we talked about endpoint security, endpoint security, um, the 30 year old technology, number one, it with ransomware, ransomware started out as just malware. Let's be clear. Ransomware today is a hack first meaning they're hacking into you first. Right. And so once they hack into you, then they're going to go and they're going to disable your backups. They're going to get admin control. They actually, I've seen them where they will actually look at your cybersecurity insurance policy if you have one and figure out how much it is. And that's how much your ransom is going to be. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've seen them. I've done incidents where they've looked in the bank accounts and looked at it and verify how much money you have. I had a you know, less than five person company get a $50,000 ransom. Usually it's like, you know, five or $10,000 is really small, something they can quickly just pay. There's a $50,000 ransom. I say, I guarantee you've already been hacked in. We do the forensics and that company had been hacked in a few weeks ahead of time. We could see them looking at their files. They knew how much money they had. So it is a business for these hackers. So they're hacking in and making sure that they're going to get paid. The last thing they do, which is interesting, if you have backups, they're going to disable them. Okay. So they're hacking in. And the last thing they do is they'll drop uh, the ransomware malware. And back to your antivirus, if you've got the old legacy antivirus, it's detect and respond. So if I've created some brand new ransomware malware that is going to bypass that old signature-based technology, it's going to execute and you won't be able mm -hmm. to stop it. But there's new, newer versions of, of antivirus that uses artificial intelligence that actually can detect it and stop it. And so you can use those. But here's the other thing, Anthony, that just completely blows my mind. Most of the people that have those new artificial intelligence-based um, antivirus software, they don't enable it to block. That's just like saying, hey, I got a lock on my door at home on my front door, but I don't lock it. Okay, <laughs> because I don't like it because I might not be able to get out fast enough or something. That's what they do. So the, you, it's all these barriers to actually being secure. So what we do here at Savitar is we make sure you always are patched on a continuous basis um, because we actually make money back to how we make money. We make money off of you being secure. We make money off of nothing happening. So our pricing is very similar to all these subscription services. It's fixed fee based on number of employees. Once we know number of employees, hey, you're paying a fixed fee for us to bring in the software, do the services, get you fully locked down, 90 days or less, and then maintain that. After those 90 mm -hmm. days um, and you're locked down, that's when we start making our money, okay? And guess what? The profits are actually higher because it's not as much work. 
But if we never locked you down and we just continually got a bunch of alerts and a lot of noise, whatever, we've been working a lot of time, a lot of hours, right? right. But we lock you right. down, so it's not as much work to do. That's the beauty of customer lifetime value that happens in subscriptions. Last thing I'll throw with you is just so you'll just to finish that point. Customer lifetime value, how much do you pay for your you know monthly Netflix subscription? I think it's 19 bucks now, something like that. It's too much. <laughs> you can see the extra deluxe version. I've heard people say they pay 10. I think I'll pay 15. Uh, okay. but, but at the end of the day, if you buy a brand new movie, just go buy a movie. Even when you download it from streaming, how much does that cost? Oh, it's, it's still got to be 20, 25 bucks now. Yeah, it's like 20 bucks, right? And so you think about the business model, like how does Netflix make money? They got all this content, all these movies, but if you buy one movie, it costs more than one month of, of what you'll be paying. So how does that work? Is customer lifetime value, right? And so that's how we're able to price it cheaper. There's no VAR margin built into our pricing. So it's cheaper, it's more affordable. So we have customers that are small businesses, all the way to global enterprises that are our customers. Hmm. Because again, we make money off of a subscription business model. Same thing with you know Spotify, music and all that, right? Again, you you go and you know buy a new you know album or cassette or like I'm dating myself. <laughs> like they don't call them albums anymore, but whatever. So it's it's more expensive than what you pay a month to get access to everything. So same thing with cybersecurity. Well, and it is interesting because the the potential uh, downside is kind of a function of of how big your organization is, how many employees. And that's there's there's an element of risk on the employee side because right. I know that um, you know the the people side of this is where the biggest points of failure can often be, and and some of that challenges is, is I'm sure uh, something that you have to deal with as well. But when I think about you coming in and uh, to your point, locking things down, that's where the work is going to be more in larger organizations, but it's not going to be linearly more. If, a, if an organization with 100 people, when you move to 1,000 people or 10,000 people, it's not going to be 100 times greater difficulty for you. It's going to be five times greater or 10 times greater, but it's 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 not going to go up in a pure uh, linear fashion. So it makes sense, though, if you can do the work up front, lock them down so the risk is much lower, and then you get the ongoing uh, services. What I like about this, kind of going back to that earlier point that I made, is you are in alignment with the customer's needs. You are you your business model is in pure like the incentives are exactly aligned, which is great because you are interested in actually providing what the customer is paying you for. It is not something where you are actively trying to make sure that there's enough problems that they keep coming back to you like not a few consultants out there do you know if, if everything's good most consultants don't have enough work in their minds whereas you're saying hey let us make sure this flank is covered you don't have the internal skills to do this most of the time anyway client organization let us take this on for you use your energies and your your team skills on on other areas um I think that makes a lot of sense conceptually where I'm really interested. And in, when I put on my technology hat, yeah. I'm like, how the heck do you do this? Cause you spent a good amount of time at the beginning of this conversation, terrifying me. And I'll speak on behalf of the audience, terrifying the whole audience as well, because we know these things, we know these challenges. We hear about ransomware. We hear about all of these hacks all the time. I'm sure there's many of us out there that have had to deal with these situations and they're not pleasant. So we're very scared. 
what you're saying almost sounds like how can like I get how I can watch a movie from the Internet at this point. Mm -hmm. Like That's pretty easy. I understand that conceptually. How you can keep all these bad things from happening to my organization. Help me understand what you actually do to to make that possible. Can I still have a business where my company still has a, a web page and that we can still do things? I have to imagine we do. How do you, how do you let us continue to work while actually protecting us and, and locking things down? Can you talk about some of those techniques? Yeah, yeah. So um, technology has come a long way, and and so when I first started doing, I actually have done remediation. I remember I was doing it as far back in, 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 in like 1999 or so. And I, I remember I was on like a year long remediation project when September 11th happened and the dot com bus was happening and people were losing jobs. I'm like, cool, I'm just remediating after an assessment I did. So I was just kind of cruised way through that. But remediation used to be really, really hard, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of roadblocks um, that existed. But here we are today, a few things have changed. Um, most software is is cloud manageable. So mm. I don't have to deploy my teams on site to go and rack and stack servers or anymore, right? <laughs> like we, we have the cloud. So literally all we got to do is get software onto these systems or literally they log into cloud-based systems and then we're able to manage that. So that's mm. gotten a lot easier. The other thing is, is APIs. Um, application programming interfaces. Basically what that allows with a with a, a security product, we can pull data from that cybersecurity product via that, that API and then feed that to our platform. And so all the data from your IT assets, all the data from, from your you know, vulnerability scans, all the data from your patching, we can correlate all that into one central platform. So imagine this, Anthony, if, if there's a um, brand new vulnerability, say Microsoft vulnerability that could be exported on your, your system right now. Um, and, and you're, you're like, oh crap, I guess I got to reinstall, I install the update and get myself patched so I won't be attacked. And that's how the cybersecurity people think we're all freaking out. Let's get this patch installed. <laughs> and then everybody else in the business is like, no, we don't have time for that. So it's this continuous battle. But um, with, with this construct and what we have within our platform is that we're scanning you for vulnerabilities every day. And I use mm -hmm. SolarWinds, which was popular that happened back in December. Uh, with the SolarWinds hack um, or vulnerability, when that came out, one of our customers, um, they, they actually didn't know that one of the IT you know, um, you know, individuals had actually installed the SolarWinds on their systems. So when we did their daily wow. scan, we were scanning them every four, four hours. Again, serious hygiene, continually scanning to see new vulnerabilities. By then, we had already fixed all their vulnerabilities, all their criticals and highs. They were in a clean, remediated state because we get every single customer as a process we go through called ICARM. And we patent it, it's our, our process for every customer. We install, configure, assess, remediate the results from those assessments and maintain. So again, back to your brushing your teeth, right? You know, getting your teeth all cavities fixed and, and that's the remediation and getting it all fixed up. And then the maintenance is the continuous brushing and flossing on a continuous basis. So that's, that's what we're doing for every one of our customers. So we did the scan in the morning. We saw, oh, wow, you have solar winds. It's a critical uh, vulnerability that can be exploited immediately. So uh, we saw it and we actually got them patched and remediated. They actually uninstalled it within then six hours. And so we scanned every four hours. So we saw it within six hours, it was fixed. So mm -hmm. what we track for our customers in their dashboards is time to remediate. 
Okay. And that's all that matters. The outcome is getting remediated. And again, all this data coming together in an API and back to the example of you having a Microsoft vulnerability on your system. If you were to log in, if you were one of our members and we use members, not customers. And so if you're one of our members, then you'd be able to log into our platform and see, Hey, I have a new critical vulnerability. And you already say, Corey, I, I do my podcasting every you know, Wednesday night at, 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 at 10 p.m. So you can't patch then, but Thursdays I'm good. So you'll see critical vulnerability. Oh, this is scheduled to be patched Thursday night, you know, at 8 p.m., whatever window that you choose. And so you know that's going to be fixed. And then you also have the option of this is critical. Fix it now, right? Um, and we'll ask our customers, hey, this is critical. You want us to fix it now? Or if not, it's scheduled to be fixed Thursday night. And for most companies, they're okay with that. But that's a continuous process. So my answer to you is, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, we could not automate what I just said. The scanning's yeah. automated. The patching's automated. You're able to look and see, hey, we are continually fixed. And then as it relates mm -hmm. to the endpoint protection, again, we have solutions that are set to automatically um, detect malicious software, malware using AI, and we have it configured to block. So the only thing you're going to see is the alert. Somebody tried to drop ransomware on one of your systems and it was blocked. Um, at that point, you can just turn over and go back to sleep. We don't even send the blocking alerts. Like, just know what's happening. Uh, we can see mm -hmm. that it's happening, but we know it's happening. So that's what's changed. Most people are operating uh, with a legacy cybersecurity mindset. So I literally, Anthony, had to forget everything that I knew about cybersecurity and start over. And, and that's how we got to where we're at. Now that's that's really interesting. So I assume then, and and I imagine just like we can manage most of our on-premises environments using similar um, to cloud types of of orchestration. I'm sure you can work with hybrid environments and and existing on-premises data centers and and things like that. Yep. As well, using the same kinds of tools at this point, right? Yep. They work with your cloud on-prem either way. Either way, got it. Um, the other thing, which I think is really changed things, is you take you know you know COVID, right? So mm -hmm. you have remote systems. So with the agent and everything reporting up to our cloud management system, then it doesn't matter where you are. You could be anywhere in the world, but we can still manage and secure you. So that's mm -hmm. that's the other thing that's changed. And most companies they they they've used their you know on-prem systems. And now all of a sudden they had to be forced to have remote systems and now many of them move into the cloud. So you literally, when you had one thing to secure, you know, five, 10 years ago, now you've got the on-prem, you've got remote systems, you've got your cloud systems, you've got to secure all of them. And I hear from many people that being a CISO, cyber, you know, uh, um, cybersecurity leader in any organization is one of the most stressful um, jobs you can have. <laughs> Because again, yeah. it's, uh, one of my friends, he, he's a CISO and he calls it chief scapegoat officer because anything that goes wrong is his fault. But yet he's responsible for security of everything. Even though people say no, if it goes wrong, it's him. It's not a fun place. Uh, oh, well, I think about leadership a lot and, and building teams and managing teams. And, and one of the key tenets of that is when you delegate work or, or you, you want to balance empowerment and accountability anytime you hand off responsibility, right? You want, we want somebody to have certain things that they're accountable for, but you have to give them an opportunity to deliver what they're accountable for. CISOs are my number one example of people who are not given 
the empowerment to do their jobs, but are given the full accountability of all the things that they're not empowered to do. And it's, and it's a terrible, and this is why it's so stressful is that they can't do what they know is necessary. And I'm hopeful that, you know, with offerings, like what you're doing with Cyvatar, like, CISOs might have a shot now that you might be able to help them because they still don't have, just because you have a CISO doesn't mean you have an organization full of people who can self-secure all of the things in your organization. Um, it, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to do when you try to roll it, roll it yourself. Yeah. We have CISOs that um, have come to us and have bought 10, 12 solutions from us because here's the deal anthony i mean check it out if they were to go out and if they wanted to do that themselves they would have to hire four to five people and that that alone would cost more than choosing our solutions right and so that that's just not the most efficient way to do it the other thing is if i want to get a new you know cybersecurity solution i have to do the proof of concept there are over 4,000 cybersecurity companies out there. So you got to test all these products and figure out which ones work, which ones don't work. And luckily, myself and my team, we know what works. And there's a lot of them that, again, just getting something to send you a log and alert, that does not actually get you the outcome of being secure. But there's so many products out there, they'll just tell you what's wrong. That's just like me. Like, hey, I, I don't have a vaccine that's going to fix it. I just have something going to tell me what's wrong. Like, I don't. I don't want to know that it's something bad. I just want to block it and stop it from happening. So with us, again, the deconstruction of the you know traditional cybersecurity model, what you're not buying individual products, you know, we're not reselling that. We don't sell products by itself. We don't sell services by the, itself. We sell solutions. And those solutions are tied to an outcome that can be measured in 90 days or less. And you don't have to hire outside people. You literally can counsel us anytime. And it was, a, it was a, one of the scariest things I had to do, Anthony. I was looking at all these subscription models. They have counsel anytime. Like I can pull up my phone. I could counsel Netflix right now. But to our point is that customer first. They are providing value to customers. And you're not going to counsel as long as you get that value. Same thing here. We, we launched uh, our platform back in December of last year, and, and we've been growing like crazy, over 50 customers uh, during that time period. And guess what? Not one cancellation. They have the option. It's in the contract. They can cancel. But we know there's nowhere out there they can get more value faster than us, period. Yeah, I, I think it's an it's an incredible value proposition that that you're offering here, and and I think about this in a number of contexts as I recommend to, to senior leaders. And and when you're thinking about strategy from a technology perspective or even from a business perspective, you have to think about every organization has to figure out what is it that our business really does. What is it that gives our business a competitive advantage or differentiates us in our particular industry? Now, I would imagine most of the folks listening out there, cybersecurity is not a thing that is core to your business. Unless you're like, maybe you're the Department of Defense. If you're the Department of Defense, I can understand why you would want to do your own cybersecurity. That makes logical sense to me. But if you are a bank or you are a consulting firm or you are a, a academic institution, trying to become also an expert in cybersecurity is something that's probably not core to your fundamental business model. So it's something there, you know, 
Cybertar is an option. I'm sure there's other options out there. This isn't purely just to sell your particular work, but it's something to think about for anybody who's out there thinking about where do I want to build versus buy? This is a big question across a bunch of different areas in your organization that traditionally organizations tend to try to build too much and do so less effectively, less efficiently than buying from people who really know their stuff. And one question, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you one more question yeah. before we run out of time. And that is some of the folks that are listening or, or watching this episode, you know, they're not going to be in a position where they get to make this decision for their organizations. But as individuals, all of whom are using technology in some capacity or another, we're all at risk as individuals as well. Do you have, from your vantage point and your, your depth in the space, do you have any advice for the individuals out there of things we should be doing that we may not be doing to protect our individual cybersecurity? Are there any good practices that may not be um, obvious to, to folks that are, that are watching or listening today? Yeah, yeah, there absolutely are. Um, a few things I'm going to touch on just in closing here is the number one thing that we're bringing to the table is we've decided that we're going to lead and make take care of the customers first. And we call that just simply leading with love, right? Let let decisions be decided based upon love. Like literally our, our employees come first, then our customers, and we take care of them. I, I don't want the CISOs that have been my friends for years across three companies. And literally, this is a pivotal moment in, in Savitar history. I was talking to a CISO friend of mine. She's a customer now. And, and she's like, Corey, you know, you could come and do our yearly pen test. And she said, I hadn't fixed the stuff from last year, but you can come do it. <laughs> and and, and Anthony, I'm like, why would I do that? Again, yeah. like it, it, 23 years of assessments and penetration testing, and one of my good trusted friends has not actually fixed you know it from last year. So I'm gonna come do the same thing. What you know, the same thing over and over again. Definition of insanity. I try not to be right. insane most of the time. <laughs> so it's so right. back to what a, a a regular consumer can do. So it's really simple. Multi-factor authentication. So you log into your bank. Please enable multi-factor authentication. Log into your email, multi-factor authentication. Everything that you do, they have it built in. Use multi-factor authentication. Because just let me just, just marinate on this. I'm going to say it and I'm just going to pause for like five seconds. Hackers already have your password. Your password is already hacked. My passwords are already hacked. Imagine this. Imagine doing a very large incident at a company that many of us use, and this has happened to me multiple times. I can't even name one of them. It's happened multiple times, and you see where they've gotten hacked, and they all don't always go public, and you see the passwords and usernames, passwords, confidential information has been exfiltrated. And then you're like, damn, Okay. They have my password. And so it was back in the day when you had like one password, you tried to use versions of it and all that stuff. Now I just use a random password. So some some uh, websites that I really, really don't care about, and I just make up a really complicated password to log in. When I log in again at whatever time, I just do forgot password if they don't have multi-factor authentication. Because again, it's too much for us to remember. And people that try to use passwords over and again and reuse them, those passwords end up being reused and logged in multiple places. And if the hackers have your password, then you're going to get compromised. The other thing is that it's really important, super easy. 
when you get the little pop-ups that, hey, you need to install a patch or an upgrade or whatever, please do it. Because in many cases, there, there are cybersecurity vulnerabilities and, and fixes that are built into those. And if you don't do it, again, every three seconds, somebody scan you on the internet and you become vulnerable. And if you're interesting enough, then they may just pop you. And you won't even know what's happening on the back end. So, I mean, those are the simple things. I mean, there are a few, a few other simple things um, that I would do. But, I mean, those are the primary things you really got to do as a consumer. Corey, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, telling us about you know, cybersecurity as a service. I, I feel like I've learned so much through the short conversation with you. And even though I may not be in a position myself to go buy cybersecurity as a service, knowing that it exists and, and thinking a little bit different, this is what data leadership lessons are all about. So Corey, thank you for spending this time and, and sharing this with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you. Great. And then thank you all for joining us today. You'll find more information and links in the show notes. Dive deeper with my book at dataleadershipbook.com and use promo code AlgmanDL at the Dataversity Online Training Center for 20% off your first purchase. Please remember to follow Data Leadership Lessons on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review and help others find us. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. 